Listener Production. The creators of this podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which it is recorded. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are the first storytellers of this land. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, as well as any Indigenous people who may be listening today. Hello and welcome to FOFOP. I'm Charlie Clawson and it's not often on this show, this spin-off to TOFOP, this TOFOP with friends that we get to say we have a genuine, authentic hero as our guest, but that is the case. Uh, Podcast Mike, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, it's probably, of all the shows in the TOFOP catalogue, it's probably more Willosophy where you actually get a lot of heroes, don't you think? At least comparatively. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and that, hero- that's that's not a slide on anyone who has been in fo- on Fofop in the past. <laughs> like t- we know in your life, all of you are heroes. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, but did they don't stand up to the moral or intellectual rigor of the guest of Fofop? That's basically what you're <laughs> yeah, saying. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. And I know some have crossed over onto both shows. So you know, you got to really decide who's the real heroes, I suppose. Now, for those of you wondering, why is Charlie referring to Podcast Mike as a hero? Well, you may have missed this little bit of news from last week. A security guard has been punched and spat on as she responded to reports of attempted shoplifting. Neary tires. Yeah, just important to point out that it's not Podcast Mike who's yeah. doing the punching <laughs> that, and the spitting yeah, of the security guard. That's not it. <laughs> Victoria Garden Shopping Centre in Richmond. Neary, a woman's been arrested. She has been, Pete, following this very nasty incident. It was around 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon. The woman was allegedly trying to steal a number so, of uh, items. We're in a mall outside a, a Rebel Sport, and you can see a very irate woman harassing a security guard in a high-vis vest. So that's the kind of context for this incident. But then the important bit, I'll just skip forward, is we hear a, we hear a statement from a witness. Sorry, that's just more of the... Uh, this is more the of the incident. I just sort of had to run up behind her. I kind of grabbed her in a bear hug, pulled her to the ground. She was sort of scratching and clawing at me, biting me. I mean, that's the statement from Podcast Mike. Mike Liberale, whose name I had to double check because I'm like, who's Mike Liberale? <laughs> oh, that's Podcast Mike, also, <laughs> a.k.a. Radio Mike. Yeah. So Whoa. what happened what 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 happened? Yeah, so it was one of the like you never expect to like be in a situation like this. But short story is like I literally just had to break up quite a intense assault from yeah a woman to a security guard and kind of restrain her for about half an hour till the police came and it was the scariest thing I've ever done. And I do not, I don't think I'm a hero at all because I was genuinely really scared. And part of me was like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. But yeah. (laughs) So let's just uh, backtrack a little bit. So um, the video uh, and people can find this online. The video uh, shows uh, the fight taking place outside the rebel. So at what point do you enter this little, um, this little, this little conflict. So yeah, so we I live uh, I live across the road from Vic Gardens, and um, we I was just getting uh, coffee. Mate, you just you have just I've made your, <laughs> you've docked yourself for reprisals. <laughs> yeah, now um, vigilante yeah. reprisals. If That's why Batman committing... wears a mask. Yeah, it's true. Like. It's true. 
Um, yeah, so we were just, I was getting coffee with my friend Jack um, and my girlfriend Claire and then Claire and I were leaving, um, walking back to mine. Um, and it was literally in between work, which there's a funny story about that later. But, um, and then we were kind of walking past the store and Claire was like, oh, what's going on there? And then it, the doors just opened, burst out these two people engaged in this fight. Well, one woman was just attacking the other woman yelling and then started punching her and like spitting on her and ripped out some of her hair, which was really scary and confronting. Um, and then basically like, you know, you hear a lot about the bystander effect and you're like, Oh yeah, I wonder what I do in that. And, and to be fair, like I was just standing there watching it. Claire went to call the police and there were like people everywhere. We were all just watching it. And then I think like, I think my brain was like, I guess, in these moments, I think people are like, oh, someone is going to come and step in and do something here and fix this. So I was in that headspace. And then I kind of looked around and was like, oh, I think that's me. And then, <laughs> and then Claire said she just turned around and saw me running towards it. And yeah, I just kind of, I just grabbed her and just put her to the ground and held her. And then two other women came to help me. And, right. and I want to name them if that's okay. Their names yeah. were Meg and Rachel. So they came to help me and helped restrain her while I kind of grabbed her. Um, and then we just waited for the police and it was just really intense. So that's, I mean, look, I totally understand the uh, the, the bystander apathy. I, you know, mm. I've probably done the same thing myself. But I am also someone who, much to my wife's uh, 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 chagrin, I insert myself into conflicts oh, all the really? time. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I just like well, I, I not I've only I think once or twice I've ever like had to physically get involved, but like I if I see like a dispute happening, I like to go over and mediate. James <laughs> says it's because I should have been a priest, like I have natural priest right. tendencies, or I like to offer counsel and stuff. But I just genuinely I don't like conflict. I don't like seeing yeah. people. I hate I hate fights. I hate watching fights break out. If it's two guys punching on, I tend to let it go because I'm like, well, you know, they're probably big enough to take care of themselves. But in this instance, you could see that there was one person being overpowered or intimidated by another. So that tends to be when I'm like, oh yeah, like I want to do something. But having said that, I don't think I've ever done what you did, which is actually have to physically restrain someone. For, what did you say, half an hour? Uh, look, I've been saying half an hour. I, I I only actually caught up with Claire, my girlfriend, yesterday because we both were really busy the last few days. She was like, oh, I was, look, it was more like 10 to 15 minutes. So I'll trust hers because I was I was in the blur of the moment. I was like, yeah, it was like half yeah. an hour. might have even been two hours. I don't really yeah. know. But, um, but yeah, it was like 15, 20 minutes and like, it's do you think part of it is that catholic guilt thing because we i know we were both yes. raised in catholic families <laughs> where it's like oh i i, I want to walk away for my safety but it's like that good samaritan story just pops up in your head and won't leave yeah 100 percent. there is definitely like a duty of care to my fellow man kind of thing but then there's also this sort of thing of i just think aesthetically people screaming and shouting each other upsets me i don't like to see it. I don't like that kind of, and I'm interested to know, like, cause I, there would have been part of you that, cause they're two women that if, well, if I put my hands on her, then suddenly you are opening yourself up to, you know, assault, like if something goes oh. wrong or, or whatever. So yeah. did you actually premeditate how you're going to restrain her? Like, did you sort of think that through or is that just instinctive? No, it's a, like, so, and, and one thing I'd love to say as well is like, the security guard is okay, but also the woman who was doing it, I, I think it's important to acknowledge that like, it's clear that 
like she's in need of care. Like she was drug affected and and I and the one thing I thought is I don't want to hurt this person. I just want to she's not going to stop. Someone needs to to actually restrain her because otherwise this could be much worse for everyone involved. Um so and I did think that cuz I'm like I guess as a man like you want every every fiber in your brain is telling you like you never do this to a woman I guess. And so uh, maybe that's part of why I was just standing there because I'm like, well, I like I can't grab her and pull in her. In some ways them. you're like, oh, a woman should intervene in this instance, right? Like there's part of you thinking like at least mm. that way there's less grey area if it's like a third woman is, is and it gets physical, there's, there's not that grey area because, I mean, it sounds like things worked out as well as they could, but, you know, if you had tripped over or your body weight had landed on this woman or whatever, yeah. like it could have been like serious ramifications. Totally. And and so, but I didn't, in the fight and, or flight of it, and it was like one of those moments where it was just, you know, animal fight or flight. I just kind of was, all I remember assessing is, and and like if, like you said, if it was a bloke, I definitely wouldn't have had the courage to do this because I'm not like, I have no training in any kind of self-defense or anything. So I, I didn't know what to do, but I just kind of looked at it and I was like, okay, I'm behind her. She has her back to me. I think that if I go and just grab her and pull her, I think I can control it. That's all I thought. And then in the splits and, and she, it didn't look like, I mean, she didn't have a weapon. She wasn't armed or anything, or at least it, she was only using her hand. So I thought, I'm coming from behind her. I think I can just get her. And so, so like, then I, once my brain had processed that, I was just running in. And, yeah, I just grabbed her. And then I just sort of fell, but I just pulled back and we both sort of fell to the ground. And then that's, right. where, it, that's where it kind and, of ended and up. And so she's, like, struggling to get free, right? Like, she's kicking and. Yeah, lots of just screaming, kicking, and then scratch, clawing and scratching and bite, biting my fingers and stuff. Oh, or my like, God. Well, just like, yeah, just trying to bite or do anything. And it, it actually kind of got – I think at first she was just – By the way, just, oh, yeah. my, my, my three-year-old does the same thing. <laughs> She's yeah, with it me. Sucks, like, man. I was trying to get her to dress this morning and she was trying to bite me and kick me and scratch me and stuff. Yeah. So, so it was scary and then like – in, in a blur, Meg and Rachel just ran over. Mind you, I spoke to them both later and Rachel, one of the women who helped me, who you can actually see in that video, she's wearing pink. She has, she told me after, oh, I've got a, I've got a terminal illness. I'm, I've, I've only got like a few months to live. So I just thought I should do something. And I was just like, wow. Like, I, I think, I think those two were, if, if you're, if anyone's labeling me a hero, those two absolutely deserve it because you know meg was next to me they were both holding a leg each and this was a woman who was like struggling to break free and yelling it was very scary and meg kept looking at me reassuring me and saying you're doing really well thank you like we're gonna stay and like she was really and then for rachel who yeah who said i i'm terminally ill and i just can't believe that they would put themselves in those in that scenario and and i've had i've been able to like text them since and they were both it was just it's really fascinating when strangers lives kind of interact in that way and so the 15 minutes half an hour depending on you know who you're talking to yeah two hours like, <laughs> some people so have said two hours it's getting out of two hand. hours until the police arrived or backup mm. security arrived no like till the cops arrived so claire went that over to like talk to time. 
Yeah, Claire went over to talk to the security guard because the the security guard was so amped up as well. And I don't blame her. She must have been so scared and threatened. She actually came over and was kind of almost yelling at this and going, see, we got like that kind of thing. Which yeah. was not helping, and I understand no, totally. It's, it's not. When you I start totally, flexing. totally understand why she felt like that was what she wanted to do. I completely get it. But then I just looked at her and said, like, quite sternly, and I didn't. I wasn't trying to be angry at her, but I was just like, "Hey, you're not helping. Can you go over there?" And then, like, Claire went to talk to her to check that she was okay. Um, and then, she, and then she said to Claire there's not, I'm the only security guard on today in the whole complex. So yeah. And then I was like, I was like, Oh my God, how much longer do I have to do this? And then finally I just saw three cops coming running out of the center who kind of took over, which was, I mean, it's crazy. It's interesting, isn't it? Like the idea of like, maybe the job definition needs to be, have more nuance or needs to be amended. You're not exactly a security guard. You're, you're basically like a officer. You're like a shopping center, you a know, a marshal or something yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. We're not even a mall cop because like clearly, um, you know, uh, this physical confrontation occurs. It would have started as a verbal confrontation and she mm. wasn't equipped. And again, this is not, not blaming the security guard. No, but, no. You know, I actually, I, I went through a period where I studied like, uh, Kung Fu for about three years and, um, yeah, and met a lot of bouncers and security guards who were generally um, uh, martial artists in other fields. They just, they love, they're like MMA guys now. They just love martial arts. But I remember one of them telling me that he's a security guard and the training was like three days or something like that, like a written test, a couple of, you know, you know, days of whatever. And then he was had his qualification and he was telling me a story about the first time he, he was bouncing at a nightclub with another guy, a more experienced doorman. And the doorman had been, the more experienced guy had been telling him how, like he hoped he didn't, there was no trouble tonight because he just bought this new jacket and he didn't <laughs> want to rip his new jacket and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so the guy I knew was like, oh, yeah, fair enough. Anyway, so later on in the night, there's some argy-bargy. These guys get kicked out and the the experienced security guard goes over to kind of like you know let the guys know that you know they're not welcome back and blah 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 and as he's talking my mate reminds him about his jacket and so the experienced <laughs> guys like oh yeah so he starts to undo his jacket and while his hands are occupied the other guys punch him out oh <laughs> Oh my God. And yeah. you're the security guard. <laughs> like, yeah. There's not a lot of like forethought going through that incident. Absolutely. And like I've now like a lot of people like have, have told me like that there's been a like you're not supposed to have if you're a cop or a guard or whatever you're not supposed to have your hair down if right. you, if you've got long you hair because it. it's a it's yeah it's a it's a point that someone can take advantage of but I mean all that's like I just I don't think anyone is to blame for what happened like it's just I I used to work at, at Dan Murphy's before I got in into all this podcast and radio stuff and. There was thefts all the time. And to be fair, the business used to say to the staff on the floor, if someone is stealing something, just let them go. We would rather lose the stock than someone that works for us get hurt. And I always actually remember, I was much younger, but I remember always feeling really, I just hated it because it was so counterintuitive to what I thought justice was to just watch someone grab a a box of um johnny walker red worth like six hundred dollars you know 12 bottles in there and just grab it and walk out and 
we're just supposed to be like, see you later, like, and not do anything. So, you know, the staff of the store, like they closed the store and were just basically making sure the staff were okay. And I get that that's essentially most likely what the policy is for that business. So I don't know. There's so many just different variables to it that sort of stop people from jumping in and helping, I guess. Yeah. I, um, I got, I think I've told you this story before, but I got held up once when I used to work in a video store. Yeah. These, um, you told it on Tofop, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember like afterwards, um, I was kind of like very calm in the moment and I did let them go. Like I sort of tried to dissuade them. Um, or I wouldn't even, I didn't actually open the cash drawer for them. They kept sort of threatening me to open the cash drawer. And I just said, no, I'm just not going to do it. And so were and they, they armed with like a blade or something? A bloody syringe. They were, I had, really? had a bloody syringe. Yeah. That's so scary. Um, and they sort of ran at the door. And I remember thinking like, my initial instinct was like, oh, that's an unfortunate incident. I wonder what the circumstances are that drove them to kind of get that Catholic kind of <laughs> yeah. thing of, you know, like I don't think anyone- Hopefully like, they get their reconciliation. They go yeah, to confession maybe and it's all it's, good. No, good confession. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then um, then there was like, oh, no, I actually have to call the- And so I remember calling the police and I felt so bad about that situation because the cops were- clearly had some people in mind that they wanted to go harass. Like they kept sort of, uh, yeah, they were showing me photos and they were like, are you sure it's not this guy? Cause he, you know, there's a commission housing just around the corner here and this guy gives us a lot of trouble. And I'm like, definitely wasn't him. Are you sure? Are you sure it's not this wow. guy? I'm like, yeah, and, man. Hey, like, was this I, in Melbourne or was this Mel- in, in Melbourne? Yeah. Whereabouts? In Sandringham. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they were yeah. basically like, yeah, it was, it would have been this guy, wouldn't it? No, it wasn't. Well, they had, <laughs> they had their gut feeling and I guess they wanted yeah. to make the work easier for themselves. But yeah. then also I remember after the fact, my boss came down because um, they had to like tape up the store and stuff. And it's quite funny when they did the, the police tape up, like customers were still stepping under the police tape to come and <laughs> get videos. And the cops <laughs> yeah. would be like, hey, crime scene. A, That's yeah. what the tape on the door is for. And people are like, yeah, well, I've got to get this back. I've got to, you know. That's yeah. just like, <laughs> I don't want fine. those I'm late fees. Yeah, yeah, as if exactly. I'm going to get them late fees because there's a, this has been a crime scene. <laughs> but then my boss came by after, so everything went back to normal and continued my shift. And he dropped by and he's like, he was so like, Oh, well, I guess, uh, how you feeling? Um, you know, I, if you want counseling, I, I guess I could pay, I guess I could pay for like, what do you reckon? One session you need one, you know, just probably one. Just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was so reluctant. Yeah, I mean, we, we of- could do it as long as you know, it would be a pain in the ass for us, but I guess we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, would you be willing to pay for half of them? Half the Come on, let's negotiate here, man. Like, what you know, it was your fault, kind of. <laughs> yeah, but it was just—it was just funny, like that feeling after the fact of. Um, I, I, it's, it, I know, I know what you mean by the fight or flight thing, but I also think there's sometimes in high stress situations you just get this sort of, like, it's not calm, but it's you get very practical. It's like, okay, there is a solution to this issue, and you know, there is a conflict happening between these two women. So your solution is, I just need to separate those two women. That's as far as you thought about it. And Pretty it's much, interesting. Yeah. It's only after the fact that then you start to color in the lines and be like, oh, well, this is what was going on. That was going on. But I do think that, you know, some people escalate situations, some people are bystanders. And then there's the real practical kind who are just like, well, this is wrong. Like, I just want to separate the, I, mean, I remember when I was in high school, 
there was an organized fight between these two guys who had a beef with each other. Like literally like, like, hey, see you behind the gym at 3 p.m. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So, so really? yeah, these guys are going to fight it, you know, after school. And so like yeah. 30 of us went down to watch this fight and I was kind of into it at the moment. I was like, oh, yeah, this is cool. Like we're going to see a fight. But one of the guys was significantly bigger than the other guy. And mm. within two seconds, he had this dude on the ground and had him in a headlock and was just like, I just remember his giant fist just like pounding on this guy's eye socket. And with each pound, I could see the guy's eye closing over more and more. And I was like, oh, this is wrong. Like this mm. is, and so I, I, I committed the ultimate kind of sin and I charged in and dragged the big guy off and was like, you know, stop, 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 stop. And everyone's like, what are you doing? Like we came for a fight. It's not over yet. And I was like, well, one dude is clearly, he's not coming back from that. He's got a guy who's 20 kilos heavier than him. Mm. on top of him and it was a bad situation all around like it shouldn't have happened yeah no one should have been that's i was gonna say i think that's like exactly what it what it kind of was because so much of my brain was saying if your brain doesn't know how to process it because you're so not used to seeing this so your brain is like oh first your brain's like oh this is really weird what's going on oh this is your brain's like this is wrong like what i am seeing is not right but but is but should I like what can I do here? And your brain, like I said, um, can I make like the weirdest pop culture reference ever? Just because um, as you know, I love Harry Potter. And um, there's this great moment that I'll explain, and people who have seen the movie will know it. So in the third Harry Potter movie, Harry and his godfather Sirius Black are by the lake. And all the Dementors, who are the creatures who come to suck out your soul, are going to Sirius Black to try and suck his soul out. And then Harry looks across the lake and he sees a figure on the other side of the lake use a spell and um, and clear all the Dementors away, right? Then later in, in the movie, Harry travels back in time as part of the movie and he's standing there watching that moment and he says to Hermione, don't worry, someone comes out and and saves us because I remember seeing someone across the lake. And then he realises, oh, it was me. I did it when I travelled back in time. So then he goes, he runs in and saves him. And that's kind of like what I thought of after because I'm like, I w- like I said, I was sitting there being like, someone's going to come and, and sort this out. And then my mind was like, oh, no, it's actually me. Yeah. Right to relate it back to Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting too that like I think that, you know, with when I was held up in the video store, I often when I've told people that story, say like if their approach had been different, like if they had threatened me, like if I'd walked out and they'd hit me over the head or whatever, and I probably would have responded quite differently. But there was this sort of separation from it where I felt like, well, it's not about me. So I'm not a target. Like they want money and they want to get going. So I felt safe in that. And I it's probably the same thing. You weren't the target of this woman's rage, you know, she was focusing all on the security guard. So in a sense, it's like there's a bit of safety with that, which is like I'm just going to get in, get involved. But if she'd turned around the first thing and elbowed you in the face, yeah. you know, but, scratched but she, your eyes or something like that, you might have responded quite differently. Yeah, but she couldn't see me coming. And, again, that's sort of why there was the safety. Like I, she had her back to me. I'm curious, like what, what did they – when they came in to the video store, like what did they actually – say like was it just immediate or were they sort of walking <laughs> no, around they had, they had a little um a browse you know, respect i realized they had a little because they it, it, it ended up being that they had knocked over like seven or eight store they'd i think they'd come up from the mornington peninsula and they'd just been hitting video stores along the way because video stores back in the day still had cash 
and you know it was quite easy getting get out um but it was a guy and a girl and i remember her being like quite attractive and when they sort of came in they came in like a couple and they were browsing but she had a lot of questions and she was being quite like flirtatious and charming um but she had a lot of questions about oh is this film out and blah 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 and she what she was trying to cuz back in the day you would have the covers of the videos on the shelf and then when someone picked a video, you'd have to go out the back and get the tape to put it in the cover yeah. to bring it back. Yeah. So she was trying to hit upon a film that I had to go out the back to get. So she finally got it. And so when I was out back, they took that time to come in behind the counter and try and get the oh. cash register open. And so when and so you when came I, back, yeah, when you came back in, they were just there. They were behind the counter trying to open the cash register. So I imagine that when that's executed flawlessly, they get in, get the cash, and they get out of the store before the clerks even had time to get back mm. behind the counter. Um, but you were but just so instance- efficient and good at your job, and you <laughs> knew where every single cassette was, that you were in and out of that storeroom in 20 seconds. And yeah, they, they were didn't like, realize fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dealing with, like, the best video store clerk yeah. in history. I just remember when I came back around, I, was, I didn't know what they were doing. I just thought there was – because it was so un- to see two people behind the counter, I just yeah, thought yeah. they were lost or can I help you or whatever. <laughs> but the way that, like, that's what I mean about if the, if I had become the target of their, so if I'd come out and the dude had like immediately smacked me in the face, hit me in the nose, been kicked me in the gut, you know, just something really violent, I probably would have just fucking, yeah, because it would have taken me by surprise. I would have been caught off guard. I would have, you know, probably been a bit more complicit, but he was so meek in his kind of threat. Like he was almost apologetic. You know, he sort of turned around and pulled out this bloody needle and was like sort of pointing it at me. And, and, and he just, I just didn't feel intimidated in the slightest. And I kind of knew that, well, there was a broom, like, as I had to sweep up, there was a broomstick just there. And I was like, if he gets too close, I'll just grab the broomstick and like keep him at a distance or whatever. But she got very panicky very quickly. Like, as soon as I said no, she started saying to him, let's get out of here. And the guy sort of tried again. You know, open the door, and I was like, "No, no, man." I said, "Look, you know what?" So, were they asking you to open the till because they couldn't figure out how to open? Yeah, that's right. There's a special. Yeah, you have to special sequence, press a sequence of buttons to get the till open. I think, or there was a hidden button or something. But um, yeah, he asked me again, and then I, I think I said to him something along the lines of, "Look, I'm not going to call the cops, but you got to, you got to, you got to leave right now." Something along the lines of that, and then he apologized. He put the cap back on the syringe and said, "I'm sorry," and ran out the door. So, oh, so I, they didn't actually get any cash. They didn't no, end no, up. No. Oh, I wow. was the one who I was the last one. I, I foiled them. I think I, I you called their them. bluff. I'm so like, maybe, you're, you're not going to well, kill who's me. The real, who's the real hero <laughs> yeah, here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, was were there lots of incidents like that in a video store? Like lots of um, thefts and stuff. Because Dan Murphy's was theft central, and I hate to name the the business. I'm sure it happens at lots of liquor retailers, but. Every shift, we we ended up becoming like private detectives, looking in in around the aisles yeah. and stuff to make sure people weren't stealing. No, I mean video stores, the return is so low apart from the cash. Like, what are you going to steal? Like a videotape? It's worth nothing on resale. <laughs> oh, I just want to watch was... Shrek two so badly. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> I did get there. What we were targeted another time by a con artist, and I didn't, and I fucked up there big time. I just. Because in Sandringham, like Sandringham is a little village, you know, a little seaside village. So all the shop owners knew each other, you know, people would often pop in to swap cash over, you know, if they needed smaller notes or whatever. So it wasn't unusual to have someone come in. People would 
because we had cash, you know, people would often come in and say, hey, can we write you a check? Because I need to, you know, and we'd give them, we'd like a bank, you know, do some money lending. Um, so I remember there was a store being renovated about four doors down and this dude came in and he was really charming and he was like, hey, mate, you know, my name's like Bob. Um, I've actually, I've just bought the store down the road. We're going to open a homewares. I was like, oh, that's cool. And so we're just chatting and stuff. And he said, look, I've actually got some builders here right now. Um, but I'm short of cash. Can I just write you a check for like 300 and just get some cash to pay these guys? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So I wrote him a check, you know, uh, so I gave him the 300 for the check. I didn't even really think anything of it. And then I got to work the next day and this dude had waited for each new person to start their shift and he'd come in and do the same bit really? each time. But it was so believable because – we were all aware that there was a store being renovated four doors down. So the story kind of checked out. He was so relaxed and confident and not yeah. shifty. Like there was no he, red flags about him at all. And he was not – so he wasn't even involved in the renovation. Like it was – No, no, he no. Was just, he had just, he just done the math. He just cooked up the story. Like a, wow. Yeah. yeah. There was one guy I remember at Dan Murphy's who came in and, um, you know, he walked in and he had gotten a trolley from outside and the, he had put a box on the trolley that, <laughs> that was like a wrapped gift and yeah. like a big box and it said, happy birthday, mum, right? And then he went down like some of the aisles and put a couple bottles of wine on the top of the trolley and then he, and then, you know, walked around, came back and I scanned all the bottles. He walked out and I noticed the box on the bottom of the trolley and it said, happy birthday, mum. And I was like, this guy, what a great guy. He's gotten his mum <laughs> a big son. gift. He's gotten all this wine. He's obviously heading there now. What a legend. And then my, my boss like looked at the cameras. He's like, do you remember this guy? And I'm like, yeah. And it's like, oh, it was a fake box. And he put a bunch of um, boxes of Johnny Walker Uh <laughs> underneath the box. And it, and so it was just a dummy box. So it's like he might, I like mean, it is. A, it, it, <laughs> it's only in retrospect that you think, why would you come into a store with a big box or with a big present for your mum? Like, it, absolutely. <laughs> like, at the time everything you makes it. sense. Everything makes sense at the time. And you're like, oh, and, and you're even like, oh, it would be so rude of me to try to question him about this box or try to like, lift it up and and what would I even do if I'm scanning all these stuff and then I just lift the box up and notice that he's definitely trying to steal? Do I just go, hey, sorry, man, are you, are you buying those or were you trying to steal them? Like, do you know what I mean? What would I, what would you actually say? So it just all added up at the time and then he just sort of got away with it. It would be one of the most annoying things. I never got, oh, I think I, I was sort of assistant manager at one point, but to be the person who has to deal with that shit would just be so tiring because, A, like if you're a part of – like if you're the manager of a retail store that's a huge franchise, you know, mm. you're not really making any money. It's not your store. Yeah. You really give yeah. a shit. You know, you work at Priceline. Do you really give a shit that some shoplifters work walking out with some Maybelline in a jacket or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you yeah. do. You have to stop and then you have to go through that whole kind of like dance of, uh, can I see what's in your bag? No. You know, blah blah blah, and it's just like it would be tiring. I don't, yeah, I, I, I just don't ass. care enough about that kind of stuff. I, I actually, there was one. Um, I think the police did this investigation because there was one. 
there was one bottle of ouzo, like a, an ouzo product, and we barely moved any any ouzo. And then suddenly there was this spike in what we thought were sales of this ouzo because the shelf was always empty, so we were always getting it would auto order more, and then we would just like um, put it back on the shelf, and then it'd be gone like within the week. And then we realized there was just one guy who was stealing all this ouzo. <laughs> and then I think the police did this investigation where they found out there was like a, a Greek restaurant up the road and it was the only restaurant sort of in the vicinity that sold it. And then they went to talk to them and they're like, oh, like, where are you getting this product? And I was like, oh, this guy comes in and sells, us, sells it to us at like cost price because he like has some deal or something. And it turned out that guy was just coming to us, stealing the ouzo and selling it onto this this Greek restaurant without them having any idea of what was going on, or at least like not asking any questions as to how he's getting it so cheap. I mean, there's, have you seen Emily the Criminal, that Aubrey Plaza movie? Yes, yeah, 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 that um, the fake great. credit card scams that they're yeah. running. Yeah what, yeah, what were they doing again in that? I, I saw it a while ago. Uh, so they would just produce counterfeit um, credit cards that had credit values up to a certain amount. And so your job would be to go in and just buy like a like a washing machine or whatever and you've got like, you know, a certain amount of time before they realise that, the you know, it's a fake credit card. So you, yes, you get the washing machine and then they, right. they on-sell it. And then if you can prove that you can do that, they take you up to bigger cards so you can get yes. things like cards and stuff like that. But it's, it's a really great movie. Uh, but it also just makes you think like, how many scams there must be out there and how naive we all are. And the the irony being like, you know, so I was almost held up once. I got ripped off by a con man, but I was also running my own con game. Really? Where, oh, yeah. Shit. Because you had the ability in the video store to, um, when someone had a fine on their account, uh, from my point of view, when I'm looking at the screen, I can, you know, I can uh, hit a button which sort of uh, pays for the fine. So I take the money and I click, or I can delete it. Right. So it I'd just, often say to as someone, in it just tells the computer the fine has been paid, been paid, or, the, yeah. or or you, or you've or the you know the 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 clerk has used their discretion to delete it. So often someone would come in, and if they had like a twenty dollar fine, I'd be like, "Hey, look, um, they've got a twenty dollar fine here, but I tell you what, if you pay now, just ten dollars, um, we'll just we'll take care of it now." And so they would give me the ten bucks, and then I would just hit delete. But and then you'd pocket, you'd pocket and the I'll ten. Pocket the ten bucks, yeah, because <laughs> according to the system, it wouldn't know. The only yeah. thing that could catch you out was at the end of each night, you'd have to print off like the day's takings as like a, a like some software, and there was an exceptions log listing. So anytime an exceptional transaction had been made, so anytime someone was deleting fines or lowering the price or something, it would come up in this log listing. So I'd have to go through and manually like change that sort of like go deep into wow. the program and yeah, delete the log dodgy. listings. And so I did that for like a year, I reckon, where I just sort of, I mean, I was getting paid maybe $9 an hour or something yeah, yeah, like that. It's yeah. like supplementing my income. Yeah. But I, it was like, here I was, you know, the victim of a con getting held up. But I was all, like, it was white collar crime. <laughs> what, I, what mine was maybe not as in your face as, as someone holding yeah. up, but I was, I was stealing as well. But wait, wait. So that was another uh, hold up. Is it, is it, are you saying this was another incident? No, no, no. I'm saying that like I got held up once. There was a con artist, but yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. But if you I'm were honest doing about your own it, con. All, everyone's a, everyone's a fucking criminal when given the opportunity. Yeah, but yours wasn't like I, I guess you, I was going to say it wasn't like systematic or 
threatening, but I guess it was definitely systematic. Like you were ex- you were exploiting the business's like lack of accounting or whatever. That's what I'm saying. It's a white collar crime. It's not as kind of like in your face as you know pulling a, a con or sticking a needle and holding a needle at someone. But I also felt like this misguided justification because I was like, they pay me such a low hourly rate. Like this, this feels like it's deserved. It's payback <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Yeah, it's justice. It's justice yeah. for the poor conditions I'm working under. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Get that sticking it to the man. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's um. Yeah, it's it's all it's all really intense when you. I I feel bad for people who work in retail and have to experience all that that stuff firsthand because it was so hard on me as a uni student. I used to hate going in because I would just feel like shit. Like I would, it was just so object to my values, but I knew I couldn't do anything about it because one, I wasn't strong enough or brave enough to do anything to stop people stealing, but also because you risk your job, and then I'd need that job to pay for stuff while I'm at uni. So, yeah. It's weird, isn't it? Like when you get those part-time jobs in retail, you know, when you're studying or whatever, like that's, you know, they are casual jobs or casual employment are the most, that's the most readily available employment. So it makes sense. But geez, it gave me a bad opinion of the general public. Like after that, when I started like taking part-time work, I'm like, do I have to talk to the general public? Do I have to be face-to-face? And I used to work at a cinema for a while. Really? And um, yeah, I remember there was this one day where um, I hadn't hadn't had an acting job in like six months. I was working at the cinema and then my agent had sent me this audition for a commercial where they needed someone to play like a hot shot. Mm. And I didn't even have like a suit at the time. And so I borrowed my mate's suit so I could go to this audition playing like a, you know, hot shot yuppie or whatever. And then while I was at the audition, a text came through from my boss at the cinema saying, hey, someone can't do this shift. Do you want it? And I needed the money. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. And so I went there in the suit, the expensive suit, and just whacked on like a, you know, a T-shirt, um, uh, a, like a, a palace T-shirt and started working. And this dude comes out of the foyer and he's like, oh, hey, I'm really sorry. Um, I've just been sick in your in your bathroom, so I might need to go in there and clean it up. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, you know, I'll go do that. So I got the mop and bucket and I went into the toilets and I don't know what this guy had eaten or how this incident had unfolded, but there was vomit everywhere, <laughs> like along the walls, on the wow. wall of the stalls, over the urinal. In Like it was almost like he must have burst in and just done like a just 180 <laughs> of explosive vomit and it had yeah. hit every surface and I was like and the smell and I remember being like oh god and so I started like you know mopping and it was one of those infrared urinals so every time you passed too close to it it would fill up so the urinal would fill up and the vomit would overspill from the bottom of the urinal onto the floor onto my and so I'm on my knees like scooping up vomit and putting it in a bucket and I'm like I'm sitting there and I'm like how pathetic is it that I am in this suit that I couldn't even afford myself. I had to borrow because <laughs> I was pretending to be a millionaire when in reality I'm on my hands cleaning and knees, up this, yeah, scooping up vomit. Like that's the that's, level I'm at. Yeah, that's gross. I, I was actually going to ask you. Um, so, like, and it's we've kind of in a way ended up here because I realized that um, 2023 is my tenth year out of high school, and like for a lot of time you like. You sorry, it's my eleventh year out of high school. Well, damn, that's worse. Um, you realize like a, a lot of my life, I reference back to like how far it's been since I finished school, and I guess I was curious because 
um, we we kind of went to similar schools in Melbourne. And I was wondering about like what your experience was in terms of clearly being someone who wanted to pursue something creative and maybe less traditional and and maybe even more so for you at the time. Like what what was your experience coming out of school and wanting to pursue acting or or creative roles? If that um, if that's not putting you on the spot too much. No, I think it was not. I think well, I w- I had quite a broad group of friends at high school. So, like, I was mainly friends with the guys who like to play footy and stuff. Your traditional kind of meat and potatoes kind yeah. of high school guys. They were yeah. they were my my core group of friends. But then in the last couple of years, I started hanging out with the guys who are a bit more alternative, who are a bit more into things like music and and so I hadn't actually I'd sort of done drama for a couple of years, but didn't really enjoy it. And then in my last year of high school, had done the musical. They did Les Misérables, and I really, really enjoyed it. it. Was like, oh my god, this is so much fun, and I just love the experience of putting on a show and all that kind of stuff. But there was tremendous kind of shame put on guys in my year level that wanted to be actors because it was considered to be attention seeking. Like the, yeah. whether or not you had any talent was kind of by the by. It was more the um, – and it's funny because there was, a, there was a, uh, a, um, a slur for it, which was you're a John. Oh, okay. Now, it's a long involved story uh, about that. But there was a teacher at school at the time, and I, don't, I won't use his last name because he was a great teacher, but his first name was John. And um, he didn't necessarily teach drama, but he taught other humanities. And he was a bit of a Robin Williams in the Poet Society. Like he yeah. just loved to motivate the students. So if that meant putting on a costume or, you know, <laughs> doing something unusual, like, you know, taking his class, you know, out in the, we're going to do it out on the Oval today or whatever. Um, but the knock on him was, oh, he just loves the attention. He's just an attention seeker. And so right. if you were an attention seeker, you were a John. And so okay. – that was kind of something that the kids who had that performing arts interest had to sort of live with was like, stop being a John. It's like, well, fuck man. Like, you know, I like to sing. I like to like, you know, do all this kind of stuff. So I knew that when I got to university, if I was going to, and I hadn't decided at that point, like, you know, I just did a communications degree. I hadn't decided. I knew I wanted to get into like media somehow. I didn't know Mm. what that was going to be, Mm. but I knew that I, was going to have to separate myself from my high school ties a little bit. Like, right. because As it in, just brought, Sorry, do you mean the people you were at? You yeah. Were friends like with? the guys, oh, okay. the guys I was friends with, not all of them, but a lot of them, they were just bringing me down. Like it, it like I just noticed, like it was, they, they, they were not good for my self-confidence and my self-esteem because it was that tall poppy kind of thing. And I distinctly sort of remember like I sort of maintained friendships with, with a few a few of them, but the first job I got was in Sydney, and so that actually took me out of the Melbourne bubble entirely. And I only had one or two friends in Sydney at the time, and so I started doing this show for the ABC. And I remember I was down in Melbourne for Christmas that same year, and I went to a party with all my old high school friends, and they just ripped into me for like two or three hours you know, about me being on this show and how shit the show was. And, you know, it was just like, it was just, I just remember distinctly having this feeling of like, okay, well, I don't want to be around friends who aren't supportive of of what I do. And they are clearly still classifying me in this, like in this, with this high school mentality of 
well, you're just doing it to be an attention seeker, even though this is like five years after the fact. Like clearly I've so made a concerted effort to make this like a yeah, job. Yeah, yeah, But they're still classing it down as, oh, Charlie from drama class, you know, right. wants to be a John. That actually kind of surprises me in a way because like I I, I thought like you – because weren't you and Michael Chamberlain – this is what I was thinking about because I know you and Chambo went to school together and and like I just would have thought that maybe you guys were both sort of – all into it at school and were supported. Like, do you know what I Michael, mean? Michael Michael was much more into it than me. Michael right. always had a good sense of who he was and what he wanted to be, and I kind of really actually just f- followed his lead quite a bit because we were good friends, but Michael was never shy about, I like writing, I like movies, I like this stuff. And so he was always very sure, like seemed very confident in himself and very sure of himself. And, you know, even with – the university course I chose, I chose it partly because that's the course Michael was going to do. And I was like, well, if Michael's choosing it, then, you know, that gives me confidence. Um, But Michael's different in the sense that he's maintained all his friendships from high school. Like if I need to check in with anyone, Michael's the first person I go to because he's still mates with all those guys. And he, he never felt that kind of, um, uh, I don't, well, I don't know for a fact, but I, I feel like maybe he didn't have the same kind of issues that I had, where I, whereas I felt like I need to start again. I need to, um, uh, what's the word? Reinvent Re- myself. <laughs> you reinvent myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not rebrand. It was probably too early, <laughs> too early for a rebrand. For Didn't a have re-brand. a brand at that point. Yeah. But I did sort of feel like, you know, I, I in some ways I regret it because I never went to my 10 year, I haven't been to any of my high school reunions. And part of me didn't want to go back to them because I sort of felt like, well, I just, I don't want to go back there. Like I, 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 I loved my time at high school. I have, and I had a lot of friends in there, but you know, like Chambo and maybe one or two others, I'm only still really good friends with. And I do regret it a little bit because from time to time I will be contacted by someone or I'll bump into an old friend and I'm like, oh geez, like did I let something slip there because my ego was so fragile. I felt like I needed some kind of separation but then the other part of me, like I'll stalk, I'll Facebook stalk these reunions. I'll look at the photos and I'll be like, fuck, I couldn't even name 90% of the people in that room. Like I don't know how much we're going to have in common. It's been almost – I'll be coming up to my 30-year reunion right. soon. Yeah. And I and I honestly don't know what I would talk about. I haven't seen these guys in 30 years, barely had a conversation. What are we going to talk about? I don't really want to go back to talking about high school and teachers that we <laughs> – you know, it seems to me that seems a bit weird, but I don't know. I mean, I, I I think that maybe I should have gone to at least one of them, but I wasn't ready. The the ten year one, I just was was too soon, and then the twenty year year one, my mother was ill at the time, and it was gonna they they were sort of coinciding around the you know when the reunion was happening was when my mum was quite ill, and it's just like because a lot of people are going to ask family questions, and I just wasn't in the headspace to answer any of that. And I actually had one of one of my mates who was the school captain, reach out to me and say, hey, man, like I've noticed you have an RSVP'd. It'd be great to see you there. And I just didn't answer. And I feel a lot of regret for that, that I didn't actually just sort of explain to him what was going on and why yeah. I felt like I couldn't be there. But that's also just probably, yeah, like the headspace you were in at the time. I, I guess as well, like did you find it – Did you? I, I guess you've kind of already spoken to this, but did you find that there weren't – Aside from just like your school musicals and stuff, did you feel like there were avenues in which your school encouraged you to do that kind of work? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, definitely. It was look, it was very much a footy school, and yeah. you know, like, and and 
things like drama and all that kind of stuff were considered sort of Mickey Mouse subjects and weren't given yeah. their due respect. But at the same time, they had incredible facilities and really good teachers and, you know, the productions they put on a, you know, almost professional standard in terms of like the money spent on the sets and the lighting and all that kind of stuff. So I don't want to make it sound like, you know, there was the arts were neglected. It was just, you know, in my level at least, you you felt like a bit of a pariah if you kind of, you know, actively pursued the arts. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Interesting. And and aside from you and Chambo, I always find it interesting, like were there other people in your circles, even maybe not even including your school, but just other schools in your sort of year level that have gone on to to pursue yeah. those careers? Well, in our year, Lawrence Lung was in went oh, to school with go. Michael and I as well. So, there you go. Yeah. And then um, I think there's a couple of other people. I, I can't think off the top of my head. But it was interesting sort of getting to uni because Michael, even though we were at the same university or at Deakin, Michael was doing a heap of um, – uh, uh, reviews at like Melbourne Uni and yeah, like um, the law review and stuff that, um, yeah, and that's how Michael, I think Michael kind of got started in comedy, is he was gotcha. just doing these reviews. And so I would go along and meet some of these guys and be like, oh, okay. And and that's when you sort of start finding your tribe a bit where it's like, oh, these guys are all like super smart and, you know, they're into the same, they're into comedy and, and writing and all this kind of stuff. There was a point where I was like, oh, maybe like, I should actually go study at like a like a NIDA or, or something like that. But I always just much more preferred the, the the getting it, just doing it kind of stuff. Like that's what Michael and Charlie and I did when we all started working at the same production companies. We just write sketches and just go out and shoot, kind of like what you do now. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I, I guess I just – I always just find it interesting because I, I remember when I found out that you went to the school you went to and I was just like so shocked because I was like, how could this guy have gone to that school? Because it just like, I, I just couldn't imagine, like I didn't feel necessarily in my school that I had, like I was encouraged to to pursue this. And I feel like if I had, I might've been five years ahead because I would have actually started doing what I like doing much yeah. earlier. Um, but yeah. I often so, think that too, like if I hadn't been, if it hadn't been so stigmatized at my school, would I be much more advanced? Because I think that, you know, there was this, I, part of my um, reluctance to keep going with drama and stuff was I just didn't want to be called a John. <laughs> you know? I didn't want to be seen as an, an attention seeker or anything like that. I, it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I, I know what you're saying. Like, I mean, we can say the school, Xavier. I went to Xavier, which has a, a like a specific reputation that, you know, they're always, it feels like every year Xavier's in the paper for some horrible thing that like an old boy's done or, you know, like oh, yeah. it's got that Look, super I, privileged kind of. Yeah, I grew uh, up reputation. in Q. And like every year there was, it was like, uh, and it's a great, I'm sure, it, I'm sure it's a great school, but it was always like muck up day, Xavier boys, like parading <laughs> the streets of Q. Yeah, hijack like a tram on and cars. drove into yeah. a McDonald's. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was well, a lot a weird, of that. I mean, it's a weird thing because like, even though my brothers both went there by the time, they're much older than me. By the time I was went to Xavier, like my family had lost a lot of our money because my father had passed oh. away and then- Mum yeah. had invested dad's life insurance poorly and we'd lost mm. our life savings. And oh, so the only reason I got to go to Xavier is because I was on a scholarship. And I was kind of acutely aware 
while I was there that I didn't have as much money as a lot of the guys that I was going to school with. And you could, I just sort of, I, I never really felt like, I mean, I was friends with all these guys, but I always felt different because you just, people with money act differently. The way they interact with the world, the way they view the world, it's different, you know? And for a, a, a couple of years, at least, I was like, oh, maybe this is the wrong school for me because I don't identify with a lot of these guys, their interests and their families. And it was very kind of, you know, uh, they're all liberal voting. You know, they at the time, I can't remember who the premier, oh, they love Jeff Kennett, you know. that was, And, like, I remember one class where a teacher literally just spent the entire class just saying why Labor was such a bad party and why the liberals will get us out of this mess. And, and I, was, <laughs> yeah. I remember thinking this is a weird – like it's a weirdly sort of politically tinged lesson and you know, like the anti-abortion thing as well. Like so all that kind of stuff made me go like, oh, I'm not part of that. And Chambo was also like that. Like I think that's why, you know, we stayed such good friends was we always sort of felt a little separate from that rah, 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 old yeah. boys network. Yeah. I mean, in, in some ways you buy into it because when it advantages you, but then, you know, some of them, some of those guys can't step out of it. Like I remember one guy – saying to me like, well, you know, you'd go to a party, like a high school party, and the Xavier boys would get together and they would chant, they'd do the Xavier chant. Yes, like, yes. They would get in a big circle and do the Xavier chant. And it's like, who fucking loves their school that much? But I, I do. You know, I, like, that exact same thing would happen with my school. And I'm like, right. why are we singing the school song when we <laughs> finished school like four years ago and none of us have anything to do with the school? Like, it was a good school, but like, why are we doing this? Ah, it was so weird. I, I kind of agree with you, just just quickly, because like, m- my brother and I both had scholarships as well, so we would sort of, you know, we we wouldn't have gone to the school we went to if we didn't have the scholarships. And um, and I grew up, the house I grew up in was like a unit, and the there was two units on the property. My nonna lived in the front unit. So I, I grew up like we we lived with my nonna essentially, and um, you know, and I was and, and once I always felt weird about having friends come over to my house just because I was like, oh, it's just weird. Like they all live in these big houses with their parents, and I live in like this unit with my nonna out the front <laughs> and stuff. And like, you know, people at school knew I was Italian as well. But then I remember the first time I had a friend come over. I invited a friend over and we walked into my house and my mum, my dad and my nonna were all in the kitchen hand-making pasta together. <laughs> and, and they say hi to my friend and then we go into the backyard and my friend, who, who was like an Aussie guy, just looks at me and he's like, dude, I knew you were Italian, but I didn't think you were that Italian. <laughs> it's just like, it's like, what did you, what did you think? Like, he was just like so confused that my parents were in the kitchen with my nonna speaking Italian and making pasta. Um, but it's just that like cultural difference that like I, I felt like we, like I felt weird like you because I was like, I definitely don't have as much money. Well, my family definitely doesn't have as much money as all these other families and stuff and yeah it's just interesting to talk about that stuff sometimes i think yeah well i'm always fascinated like that reputation that xavier has was there long before i went there and seems to still be around like when when you tell people that you went to xavier they're like oh like you can sort of see like it 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 evokes a certain kind of a curtain certain kind of stereotype but i'd be interested to know how much that has 
changed like or or has the culture shifted because a lot of it to me felt to seem to filter down from the parents like it was very much the old boy like a lot of old yes, boy dads were sending son. their sons there yeah. and they had affinity for the school and you know like one, one of my mates at school I remember him saying when I have kids if I have boys they're, they're definitely coming to Xavier and I'm just like mm. why yeah <laughs> like I mean it's a good school but why definitely like yeah. surely <laughs> you wouldn't lots even of good- think about another school like- <laughs> yeah like surely there's <laughs> lots of good schools or maybe you know they should uh, think about Steiner or something like that but it's it's weird to be in that system and benefiting from that privilege, but also feel not accepted by it. Like I don't know, I didn't have the Italian thing or any kind of obvious separator. It was just more a, like I guess, just like a ideological sensibility thing. You know, like my family were fairly kind of left leaning. Right. I mean, yeah. half my family were gay. Mm. You know, I didn't know. No one ever talked about any of that kind of stuff, or you know, seemed to. And my brother. Uh, my gay brother was the drama teacher at, at the girls' school across the road at the time. And so a lot of my mates who were doing, you know, drama with the girls' school would come back and be like, I met your brother. Is he gay? And I, at first I'd deny it. I was so kind of like scared yeah. of, of what, you know, they would say. And then I think it got to sort of the last year of high school. I'm like, why the fuck am I – like who who am I protecting here? Like my brother doesn't need protecting. He's fine. You know, but it was more like I just I just grew tired of having to sort of fit in that box, and I think that was part of my desire when I when I left high school is to reinvent myself. Was I knew that I just I wanted to hang around girls, like not necessarily just so I could have girlfriends, or whatever, but literally I'd just been in the company of predominantly guys for four years, and I was sick of it. And I just I, I remember thinking when I started uni, like I just oh my god, there's girls here that we can just talk to and hang out with, and like I just really, really enjoyed that. And you know, I'd go visit my uh, high school mates, you know, at one they're at uni. It's like, are you still carrying your high school bag to uni? Like, <laughs> yeah, get yourself a fucking backpack. What are you doing? Like, cut the cord, man. Like, it's time to move on. I think like at the end of year twelve, we got those like you know, those like year 12 kind of varsity jacket style things with your nickname on the back. I, I swear I wore it once. And then, <laughs> then I was like, well, now I've finished school. I, I'm not going to wear this to like a nightclub or to a party or something or a family gatherings. So I'm just pretty sure it's still in my wardrobe at my mum and dad's place just sitting there. Cause why would I ever wear it? Like <laughs> anyway, it's I just still so get crazy. these emails from time to time like i like i have obviously ducked and weaved and they've lost but they keep getting my email address so like it'll go like three years with no contact and then they've tracked me down again i'm like who's the fucking snitch (laughs) who's given up i mean it's got to be chamber right like yeah yeah, charlie would love to help out this is (laughs) his email (laughs) who's the fucking snitch who keeps putting my name onto this old Zavarian fucking mailing list and they're it's always some kind of appeal for money, and it's like, well, you're coming oh, to the man. wrong guy. All right. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not paying for the new fucking gym or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> the new pool. Yeah. We used to, we used to, they used to open the pool at Xavier um, as like a just a public pool public on pool, weekends. That's right. The Stevenson Center. We used to go there all the time when we were kids. It was really yeah, fun. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they built that while I was actually at, this is how old I am. They, they yeah. literally built that while I was at high school. Like, I oh, remember there was the pride and joy of the school is they'd raised something like 10 million, something a ridiculous amount of money for a high school for this one gymnasium that you could probably fit a bunch of high schools in. Like, yeah, in yeah, itself. yeah, definitely. 
Like and, and really a pool with like di- three meter diving boards and like everything a, a kid could want at that. Well, pool. if you want to know like what like the the counterculture force that Chamber and I were, so they built this amazing gym, right? And then when they opened it, like it was run by these fucking fascist kind of like oh. you know these these PE teachers and stuff who just <laughs> like. You had to, they had this really rigorous sign-in policy and because we thought, oh, it's a gym. We'll just be able to go in and play basketball or go for a swim. No. And they were really strict. And so Chamber and I, the school magazine um, had been dead for a number of years because uh, students had uh, promised to print one version and then uh, had printed an unapproved version and it like had brought the school to its right. knees. Yeah. So they had banned the school magazine for like a decade. Then Chamber and I lobbied the the headmaster to let us revive it and so we did and we wrote a scathing editorial did you really about <laughs> the gym so did you did you have to get the headmaster on side by being like look we just want to talk about the school we want to talk about all the good things about the school he's like yeah great and then bam you just totally no, we did were a quite honest about the fact that we needed to shine a light on some of the inequities in the school but <laughs> I don't so think good. they were I don't because because I remember like it was. It was funny, really, because normally the, the school magazines are mostly jokes. But there was – I wrote the one about the gym, like about these fucking um, – these empowered, uh, uh, glorified PE teachers who are telling us that we can't That's come to the gym so that good. we paid for with our yeah. own money. <laughs> and then Michael did one. He had like the back page, which was uh, the rowing carnival had been on and Xavier had copped a lot of shit because really offensive chants had been going on and stuff. And Michael wrote this scathing rebuke to like the students who were chanting the blah, 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 yeah, grow up. And it's just like. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm surprised you didn't get into journalism after all that. Yeah, <laughs> we could have. I remember the cover of the magazine was our assistant principal. We'd taken a photo of him and we had photoshopped his head onto the baby from the Nevermind album cover. And that was our like satirical. What version? Cover. What version of uh, I had to airbrush Photoshop the baby's was dick it? Out there. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. a beta. It would have been a beta <laughs> Photoshop, nineteen ninety four. Yeah, wow. That's when I was born. Yeah. <laughs> to put in perspective for how <laughs> old you, you are, you no, born, just joking. Yeah, <laughs> I was sticking it to the man. Yeah, good. Good to see you've always been that that kind of character, man. <laughs> Rebel rouser. Um, all right, Mike, that's been a great catch-up. Um, I'm glad Thanks, you're mate. okay and I'm glad the no, situation resolved itself um, uh, in a peaceful way and hopefully all parties concerned uh, can get the help that they need. Uh, Mike, what do you need to promote? Oh, I, um, I'd love for you to check out my podcast, 20th Century Boy. You can just um, Google it or follow me on Insta at radio.mike. Um, I'm doing a bunch of stuff on my big year of footy for Two Guys, One Cup as well, which has been awesome, by the way. So thanks um, to you and Will for giving me the shot to um, <laughs> talk shit about footy. Um, and, I, and I do have a, an update that I'm working on, hopefully in the next month or so, depending on when this comes out. So yeah, I'd love for people to uh, listen to that as well. So yeah. We'll put the links to uh, 20th Century Boy and everything else in the episode description. Uh, but that's it. That's Hope Up this week. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Podcast Mike. Listener.